0: What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. Appreciate everyone who's been tuning in and showing me support in my podcast and on my Instagram page. If you haven't done so, please go ahead and go drop a follow there. At English Encore Podcast, all one word on Instagram. I'm trying to get to 400 followers by the end of June. Please help me get there. I'm about 150 right now. I'm still working on getting some promotions and giveaways for you guys done. Hopefully, next week I'll have those going. Still working on my guest for Sunday this week. I have someone lined up just figuring out the dates and times. So, hopefully, I'll be able to announce that either later today or tomorrow at the very latest. Apologies again for such a late notice, but um, it's a constant grind and I'm going to make sure I do my best in the future to get you guys info a lot quicker. It just happened to be that way this week. But today we're going to be talking about what Roger Federer's injury means for the tennis tour when it returns to play. we going through the NHL and their return to play last week i talked about the nba the mlb and the nfl so i'm gonna talk about the nhl's return and their playoffs today and finally i gonna be talking about some players that changed places in the offseason via trade or free agency and which players i think can thrive in their new situation and which ones are going to fail i'm gonna give you five players in each of those categories so let's start it with some tennis talk so for tennis right now the atp tour um currently hopes to restart in august they were suspending play until july 13th because of covid wimbledon has been canceled for the first time in forever the french open which usually occurs in may is postponed until september and then the u.s open which is going to be taking place from august 31st through september 7th is currently still on par to be playing And the big news in the tennis world yesterday was that Roger Federer had a setback in his rehab and he had to have an arthroscopic procedure on his right knee once again. And he is out for the entire 2020 season and it won't be returning until 2021 when he is fully healthy. We kind of saw this back in 2017, even though he probably could have played at the end of 2020 this year, as we saw back then, he wants to just sit out the entire year. Make sure he's fully healthy and back at 100%, especially at his age. He wants to come back fully healthy and try to close out his career on the right note. So no Roger Federer for the entire 2020 season. You'll see him again in 2021. Rafael Nadal has also addressed his concern about returning to play this year with COVID going on. I feel like a lot of players do want to return, but some of these older players um, don't see really the benefit. Of doing so so we could be without Nadal or Federer potentially for the rest of the year Um, we'll see if Nadal ends up playing when things return I think he will as long as the um, conditions are healthy but the big reason why I wanted to talk about this is this is going to give a lot of opening for some younger players to really have a shot at a grand slam as I've talked about on previous podcasts Roger Federer Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic are three of probably the top 10 tennis players of all time you could probably even make an argument top five they've been dominating for the past 15 years or so now where I don't have the stat on me offhand but I want to say 26 out of the past 33 grand slams have gone to one of those three players and it's just been domination by those three guys and it's been very rare for someone outside of those big three to win a grand slam if there has been one it's usually because of injury um you know kind of just a lucky draw where they ended up going out early so it was a few random people playing in the finals like when Marin Chillich played Nisha Corey in the U.S. Open final it's never really been guys beating these top threes either they've been knocked out earlier in the rounds or they were just hurt and didn't play so i'm interested to see if any of these guys can really step up and contend one guy that i want to talk about is daniel medvedev he's been on the cusp of ring grand slam now for about a year he had a great final against rafael nadal and just fell short in five sets he's a guy that i think is definitely going to be the next Big player to break through. Dominic team, I think, has a prime chance to win the French Open this year, especially if Nadal decides not to play. I think outside of Nadal and Federer, teams probably the third best clay court player in my opinion. And then one guy to keep an eye on for the men's side is Milos Raonic. He's been working his way back up into the top thirty now. He was a guy that you know at a really high peak, big serve. Kind of like an Isner, Andy Roddick type. And he made it to one Grand Slam final but fell short. And he kind of went down because of injuries and stuff. And now he's working his way back up. And I think it would be a prime opportunity for him to get himself back up into the top 10. And contend for a Grand Slam final. Then the women's side, honestly, unlike the men's side, it's pretty much all about the Americans on the women's side. Not to discredit any other of the women's players that aren't American, but the young American women's tennis side is filled with great, great players. I believe the Americans have eight American girls in the top 50 already. Um, Sophia Kennan is going to be interesting to see how she comes back after winning her first grand slam. Serena Williams is always a story still chasing that coveted grand slam that she's been wanting to get since she came back after having her child then the young Coco Gauff was really a story of the past few tournaments. At 16 years old, making it so deep into all of these tournaments, she's definitely going to be one to watch. But with Federer going out for the season and Nadal potentially not playing, and some of these older players not really potentially playing because of COVID and potential health risk when it does return, um, I think this is a great opportunity for tennis to see a lot of these younger players on the men and women's side and start to see some new faces. Not that we all don't love the Fetters and Serena Williams of the world, but um, it's also cool to see a bunch of new players come up so that when those players are eventually gone, you have more players to root for. Um, so, transitioning now into the NHL. The NHL announced this past week that Friday, July 10th, will be the start of training camps for 24 teams that are making the playoffs. If you haven't known already, the NHL is scheduled to start their playoffs, hopefully sometime in late July, early August. And their playoff format is going to consist of 24 teams. The actual return date has not yet been scheduled. It's all based on COVID and the reopening of facilities and everything. So how it's going to work is there's going to be a play-in round, which is a best-of-five series for seeding. It's going to be best-of-seven series for the next four rounds, However, unlike in previous NHL playoffs, because of the unique circumstances, teams will now be reseeded after each round. So it's going to be very different in that you're not going to have, it's almost like you won't even have a bracket as far as these teams are going to be playing these teams, winner or loser. It's going to be reseeded no matter what for each round. So I definitely think it gives a little bit of an advantage to the upper tier teams. But at the same time, everyone has a great chance to go in and make a deep run for the teams that missed out. It's too bad for them. It'd be a prime opportunity to get some playoff experience for young guys. And I think it is kind of cool for the NHL, even though this is kind of unprecedented and some teams feel it's unfair based on who they might have to play, the reseeding or whatever it may be. For the six to eight extra teams that are making the playoffs because of COVID, it's giving these players prime opportunity to play in playoff games that maybe they wouldn't have experienced for another year, two, or even five, depending on where your team's at. And I know a lot of people think that there's going to be an asterisk next to whoever wins Stanley Cup, the Super Bowl, whatever it may be, based on if there's no fans, based on there's more teams than there should be, whatever the case may be. Um, I don't think it's, I look at it that way. I would look at it maybe from the perspective of if a team like say Montreal, Montreal only had, I want to say it was like a 2% chance of making the playoffs. If it would have remained the normal eight teams per conference, if they go on it and win the Stanley cup, it's kind of like, all right, a lot of people are probably going to look at it as an asterisk because they really had zero chance to win the Stanley cup But because of COVID, they have a chance, an opportunity, which you'd have to give kudos to them for making the run and going that far. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of teams would feel snubbed out of an opportunity um, of winning the cup. If it was in a normal format where they know who they're going to have to potentially play in the next round, they have the home uh, ice advantage, have the fans there and whatnot. But as far as if a team like Tampa, Boston or anything wins, I don't think there's going to be an asterisk next to it, regardless if there's fans or not. You still have to go out and compete and win four games out of a seven-game series and still have to make things work in a unique circumstance, which I think adds an extra element of difficulty, in my opinion. So I think it's going to be very interesting about how that's going to go. I think it's a, also great because you're giving opportunity to a lot of players who are hurt that might be able to return. I look at Tampa and Steven Stamkos. You look at Carolina, with the injuries they had to Dougie Hamilton and Slavin and have them have a chance to return Marc-Andre Fleury was kind of banged up and now he'll be able to be fully healthy so it's definitely gonna be really cool to see I think fans are definitely just thriving to try to get some NHL hockey or just sports in general to watch and I think it's gonna be really cool I'm really interested to see how it works I want to see how they work in the announcers as far as you know soccer's done a great job of um, adding crowd noise to make it seem more live you've had some soccer teams where you can they've had fans be able to put print out cardboards of themselves a place in the seats which is really cool idea um, so kudos to soccer for doing that and i think more teams might do that depending on what the circumstances are you look around the united states in florida and in Texas. If you look at their statements in general from their um, political leaders, you know the people in Texas have already said they're going to allow 50% capacity for games. I believe Florida just came out said so they're going to allow 25% to start, and we're. Gonna, I feel like that's kind of how it's generally going to be with all the states. They might let some of these bigger states do that, and if it goes well, they might do that as well, or maybe they have everyone start at 25%. If it goes well, and their art big covid spikes then i think they're gonna add more people and eventually hopefully get back to full stadiums and arenas by the end of this year or early next year which i think would be great but i'm really excited for the nhl playoffs to return and the nba hopefully mlb will get their season going soon and football looks like they're on par for right now to start on time um as far as the nhl goes as far as predictions i think in a format like this where It's kind of up in the air of seeding and who you're going to play. It's all about who's going to get hot. And based off of watching last year, a team like Carolina that's super deep defensively and has some goal scorers like Ajo and Tara Vinan, I'd be scared to play them. Um, Boston's been very consistent all year. But the team I would pick is the Colorado Avalanche. They were my pick to win the Stanley Cup before all this happened. I just think they're the most consistent team in the NHL. They've gotten great goaltending from Grubauer. They're loaded up and down their lineup. Landeskog, McKinnon, who's been playing an MVP level all year. Ranton's going to be fully healthy again. Hopefully, they got Kale McCarr, one of the best young defensemen in the game, on their back end there. So I think they're the favorites, in my opinion, to win. Although you can never count out Tampa. I think Tampa's very motivated this year because of last year losing to Columbus, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they ended up winning it, especially if they can get Stamkos back and get their players all healthy. They have one of the best goaltenders in the NHL in Vasilevsky, so definitely gonna be interesting to see, and I'm really excited. Hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later, hopefully if they can get these training camps going like they have scheduled for July 10th, maybe by July 20th, July 30th, they'll be able to get some games going, and at the latest early August, I don't think the NHL wants to drag it on that much longer because they are going to have to make adjustments as far as maybe next year it's going to be a shortened season to get back on time, or this might just be the new normal where the NHL, MLB, NFL, NBA all have to make new arrangements as far as their starting dates for their seasons just because of this going on, or they're going to have to do shortened seasons or work things out, have shorter training camps, off seasons, things of that nature. Definitely interesting to see. And I think it's going to be kind of a domino effect. And I think NHL is definitely going to be a good place to look at. Same thing with the NBA. This is going to be a good opportunity for the MLB and NFL to see how their playoffs are going to be working and the proper precautions they need to take. And then finally going into the NFL, I'll be talking about five players who I think are going to thrive in their new situations. And then five who I think are going to fail as far as if they were traded or signed as free agents. There's obviously way more moves than the ones I'm going to talk about, but these are the five players that stick out in each category in my mind. So I'm going to start off with the people I think are going to thrive. I'm going to start off with Emmanuel Sanders of the New Orleans Saints. He comes over from the 49ers. I just think it's a great situation for him. He's a little bit older. However, with Michael Thomas, who's easily a top three receiver in the NFL, in my opinion, I think it's going to allow Emmanuel Sanders to have a lot more one on one opportunities. Drew Brees can get the ball down the field. It's a very high up tempo offense with Murray and Kamara in the backfield as well. I think it's only going to open things up more. And we saw it with the 49ers. Emmanuel Sanders has the ability to throw the ball um, on re- wide receiver end arounds and things of that nature. So I think that Sean Payton's going to utilize him and Taysom Hill uniquely in the offense. And I think it's a great situation for him. Then I look at Stephon Diggs getting traded to the Bills from the Vikings. I just think he's in an ideal situation because even if Josh Allen isn't an upgrade right now to Kirk Cousins, he's going to get fed the ball. Sometimes he probably will get force-fed the ball, but for Stephon Diggs, for his personal situation, that's really good for him. He's going to be able to prove a lot of people wrong. A lot of people think that he's a diva in the locker room, that he's not a good teammate. and On Minnesota, he had to deal with... Um, competing for targets with the Adam Thielen's, the Kyle Rudolphs, the Irv Smith Juniors, the Delvin Cooks. Where in Buffalo, yes, they have John Brown, Cole Beasley, and they have a good young running backs at Singletary and Zach Moss and Dawson Knox at the tight end position. But Diggs is going to be the number one go-to guy, and I think that's going to be his first opportunity. Even though I think a lot of people considered him the wide receiver one over Thielen in Minnesota, I think this is his true opportunity to show that. Tom Brady, I think it's a great situation for him going into Tampa. I really like Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich there. It's also a big upgrade for him at the wide receiving corps, you know, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard. They did bring in Gronk. They drafted a good running back in the second round to help him out, drafted some offensive linemen. Their defense is only going to be better each year as they continue to grow together with Shaq Barrett and those guys. I think it's a great situation for him. I think Chris Harris is in a great situation now with the Chargers helping bulk up a very strong defense for Anthony Lynn. Now you have Chris Harris, you have Desmond King, Derwin James on the back end, Casey Hayward as well. And then you have you know, Ingram and Bosa rushing. They signed Linville Joseph to clog up the middle. They drafted great linebacker in the first round this year. Um, so I think that they're gonna be great defensively. And then DeForest Buckner going to Indianapolis I think was also a super big move to go along with Leonard, their linebacker there for Frank Wright. I think last year they kind of relied too much on their offense to put up huge numbers and their defense was pretty good, but I think Buckner really adds what they needed to in a pass rush and a guy that can clog up the middle a little bit more and is versatile enough where he can move from the middle to the outside to rush the passer when needed. And then five guys that I just don't think it's the most ideal situation. I'm going to start off with Nick Foles in Chicago. I personally really like Nick Foles. It's just he's bounced around so much, and every time he's gotten the opportunity to be the starter outside of Philadelphia, it just hasn't worked. Now, I don't blame him for his time with the Rams. I never thought that Fisher was a great coach there, and he should have not had that head coaching job. For a lot of reasons um, but that, I feel like that kind of tailspin his starting career in the run rushing he thrived in Philadelphia for the years he was there with Chip Kelly you know then he went and spent some time elsewhere returned the Eagles led him to a Super Bowl then played in the playoffs again when Carson Wentz got hurt you saw last year what happened when Wentz went down they had to bring in Josh McCown no Nick Foles there to help them out um, it's unfortunate what happened with the Jaguars just because he was actually playing pretty good against Kansas City before he got his shoulder hurt. And then he returned, but by then, Gardner Minshew had kind of taken the ropes from him. So they ended up trading him to the Bears because Mitch Trubisky obviously isn't great. But I just don't know how it's going to work because I think Matt Nagy really likes to do a lot of trick plays and high up-tempo, which I think Foles can do. But I also think being mobile and having mobility as a quarterback, it's kind of key for his offense. I don't think Nick Foles is that mobile, so it's interesting to see what's going to happen there. Randall Cobb in Houston, I think that's a questionable signing. You trade away DeAndre Hopkins. You trade for Brandon Cooks. You already have Will Fuller, Kenny Stills. I just don't understand why Randall Cobb was needed, and at $9 million, that makes zero sense to me. I don't think he fits very well into that offensive scheme. I think Deshaun Watson's going to be t- targeting Will Fuller. And David Johnson out of the backfield early and often in that offense. Darius Slay to Philadelphia, um, questionable trade, but um, from Detroit's end. However, I just don't think it's a great fit for him solely because of the competition he's going to have to face in that division. And I know he was in Detroit and had to deal with, you know, the Devonte Adams, the Stephon Diggs of the world. I just think that the way the Eagles run their defensive scheme, it's a lot more um, zone than it is man-to-man. And I personally just feel that Darius Slay is better one-on-one. And even if it is zone coverage over the top, the safeties there aren't great. Um, Ronald Darby on the other side of him is an okay match, but it's just going to be interesting to see. I think he'll match up well against like the Giants but against, you know, the Cowboys and the Redskins. I think the Redskins receiving, corps course, is actually very underrated. I really like Terry McLaurin. Um, Melvin Gordon, I honestly, that's probably my biggest fail for an offseason move. I have no idea why he signed there. You know, maybe it was for money, maybe it's a one-year prove-it deal, but you're joining a backfield with Philip Lindsay, who's been a 1,000-yard rusher multiple times. They really liked Royce Freeman. Um... They liked Drew Locke enough that they went out and added two great receivers in the draft, including Jerry Judy, to go along with Cortland Sutton. So I just didn't see why Melvin Gordon would sign there, especially when he was unhappy with the Chargers when he was working with Austin Eckler. Not to say that him and Eckler didn't get along, but splitting the carries. And I just don't see them getting rid of Philip Lindsay's touches based on how productive he's been. And then finally, Rob Gronkowski. Um, it's nothing really against Gronk. I just think that even though sitting a year out, I think actually does help him and his body. I just don't know how he fits very well in the offense, especially if they're keeping OJ Howard, even if Brady's only going to be around there for a year or two, I think they're going to want to utilize Howard Edwins and Godwin more than they're going to want to utilize Gronk. Gronk's also just had an injury history that you can't overlook. And I think it's just going to be interesting to see if he can stay healthy. And even if he does, there's some very good linebackers in that division that can line up with him and I think can really give him some problems and might not give Tom Brady his go-to dump-down guy that he usually likes. I think it actually might end up being O.J. Howard. However, I would just avoid both of them for fantasy purposes, but in general, I think they should be trying to get O.J. Howard more involved than Gronk. But that's pretty much going to do it for today's episode. Like I said before, keep an eye out on my Instagram account. I'm hoping by the end of today I'm going to be getting – my guest um, announced if not tomorrow at the latest. Um, keep an eye on that. I do have one lined up. But I just got to work out some dates and times. Give it a follow at English Encore podcast. If you missed last week's, I had John Cordo, former Buffalo Bill on there. If you click on the IGTV section in there, you can watch that, give it a follow, share it with your friends, family, co-workers, whoever it may be. but I'll be back on Sunday for a live session probably around 1 to 2 o'clock, still working that out, as I said. Then Monday, I'll be coming back with a podcast I'm talking about Kim Pagula's comments that were from the Athletic article about the Buffalo Sabres, I'm talking about Josh Allen's comments in his interview that he just had yesterday with all of the Buffalo Bills media members as well as media members around the NFL, and also detail the text messages that were released from a private message from Jake Fromm, and we're going to get a deep talk into that because I think it's something that needs to be talked about because of what's going on in the world today. I appreciate everyone showing me support. This is Nick English signing out. This has been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel.